Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Today, Dr. Michael Shermer. This guy's the founder of Skeptic Magazine, which you should be reading if you're not already. He's a science writer, he's host of The Michael Shermer Show, And he happens to be a presidential fellow at Chapman University, born in L.A., raised in Southern California, uh, still out in California, and has so many insightful things to educate us on, including skepticism, for sure, and how it can serve you well and how it can serve you poorly. Um, And we're going to go from cults to COVID to the craziness during this pandemic and how it really is affecting people's ability to separate fact from fiction and a way truth uh, versus untruth, right? Like reality versus imaginary. And I really think a lot of people have gotten sucked into some of these conspiracy theories on the left and the right, frankly. And this is a great guy to listen to on how to get yourself out, how to figure out if you're one of those people, how to how to stop doing that, and how to stay at least with one foot in rationality. Okay, so he's going to walk us through it. I think you'll find it very entertaining. We sort of get to, at the end, his belief that we're living in the most moral time in human history. Okay. Don't believe what they say about America, about this world, about us as Americans. Uh, We're better than we've ever been, and it's pretty damn good. So anyway, there's reason for skepticism and there's reason for optimism. Those two things are not inconsistent. Uh, And I will play you a soundbite of possibly my least skeptical moment ever and how it came back to bite me in the bottom. Okay, we'll get to Michael in one second. First this. Michael, hi. Good morning. Help me get to know you a little bit because I, I read something about you that I've seen about a lot of people I know in New York, um, which was you were you described yourself as a fiscal conservative and a social liberal. And in response to everyone who says that in 2021 America, I say still because social socially liberal today, I don't even know what it means anymore. So um, traditionally, that that phrase was associated with being a libertarian. Uh, I've tended to call myself more of a classical liberal now in the kind of founding father sense. Uh, there's a lot of fringe elements on the libertarian party or small L libertarians, you know, pot smoking, porn watching people living in isolation in Idaho or something like that, or or crazy about guns or, or, or whatever. There's a lot of uh, fringiness there. So I've kind of stopped using that. But but by by fiscally uh, conservative, I mean, you know, small government, lower taxes, that kind of thing. By socially liberal, I mean pro-choice, separation of church and state, 
you know, some gun control measures, uh, you know, recognition of science as a reliable institution, uh, you know, women's rights, gay rights, animal rights, civil rights, and, and that sort of thing. So, um, it, but, but in general, I try not to uh, fit into any particular category because then you're forced to tick the box for whatever a cluster represents that category. And then mm-hmm. I don't like that it's so easy to predict people. I mean, if I know what your position is on abortion, for example, I can predict with fairly high certainty what your position is on immigration and gun control and you know, foreign policy and a whole bunch of other things. And that just seems, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, I don't like yeah. that. It's like, it'd be nice if you thought through each issue and then gave, gave your reasons rather than, well, I'm in this tribe. So this is what we believe. Well, it's funny. Cause I, I mean, I, I think about it sometimes. I just feel like the, the ground is moving beneath us, especially on social issues. And I used to say I was more socially liberal, but now I don't think I am. I'm not sure the, the list you gave yeah, I share a lot of your views on that on those items, but you know, even saying pro women's rights, it's like, well, I'm not against that, but also, what does that mean? Does that mean no due process for men who get accused on college campuses? Well, I'm against that. You know, is it anti-male? No, I'm right, against that. Right. Is it, you know, all yes, that stuff? Is yeah. it? Is it like the taxpayer has to pay for abortions? I'm against that. Is it pro LGBTQ? Yep, yep. Well, is it? Does that mean that I have to support all you know trans girls running against? <laughs> cis girls, biological girls and races. Well, I don't think I do that. You know, so it's like things have changed so rapidly yes. in the past, yes. even just five, 10 years. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I am. Actually, I think we need four categories, at least uh, what you've just described. I agree with everything you just said. Uh, people that that go along those lines, I would put in the far left, the so-called progressives or sometimes called the regressive left or illiberals, illiberalism, mm. traditional liberals would, would agree with you and I. Uh, and yeah. And then maybe on the right, you have, you know, kind of neocons or, or traditional old school conservatives, somebody like George Will. And then you have Trumpists, uh, uh, you know, uh, wherever you want to put them far right of, of someone like a George Will, something like that. Uh, so at least four categories. And uh, so. Um, but again, uh, uh, you know, I prefer to take it one issue at a time. And yeah, yeah. often we're going to end up with conflicting rights issues. People get confused about this. Like, well, I, I believe in women's rights. Well, how about a, a man who identifies as a woman? Shouldn't she have the same rights? Well, yes, under the Constitution, if you're a U.S. citizen, you get you know, protected by the Constitution and so on. But what about competing against women in women's divisions in sports? Well, no, you can't just have all rights because uh, there's conflicting rights, the rights of women to compete against other women and, and the rights of trans to compete maybe in their own division, something like that. The problem at the moment is I think there's not enough trans uh, people uh, in either direction to fill a sports um, division. You know, can I say something that says so I've been thinking about that lately? I agree with you. I totally agree with what you just said. Um, but the thing that bothers me is, OK, so there's not enough trans girls to fill a division or fill a track team, what have you. Well, why do the biological girls always have to suffer? So what that means is somebody who's going to run is going to suffer a little because if the trans girls run against the biological girls, the cis girls, um, the biological girls are going to suffer. They're going to lose, as we've seen yes, many times. Right. Um, yeah. yep. If they have to run in their own league, if the trans girls have to run in their own league against, you know, one other person, the trans girls aren't going to like it because they don't have enough people to run no. against. If they have to run as biological boys, they're not going to like it because they say they're not boys 
and they'll probably lose more of those races. But in every one of these these instances, we always side with the biological girls must suffer. They are the ones who will take it on the chin. And by the way, if you offer any objection as their mom, as the girls themselves, you're a bigot. You know, it's like that's what's so irritating about the discussion right now. Yeah, exactly. And people get confused about whatever the science says about X and and rights, which are two separate issues. Even if, you know, there seems to be this push, like there has to be a large number of trans people in order for us to to take their rights seriously. And and that, that's mistaken. It, it wouldn't matter if there's just one person in the entire country. They, they deserve the same rights as everybody else under the Constitution. But again, then you end up in these rights conflicts. Just say something like the abortion issue, the rights of the fetus to live the rights of the mother to choose, you know, well, there's no scientific correct answer to that. It's a political issue. At some point, you just have to say, this is what we've decided politically, we're going to allow or disallow. And that's just the way it goes. And so with trans, again, you have this kind of conflicting, uh, you know, scientific evidence comes out that says, well, male, male to female trans, um, at whatever age, you know, even at, at puberty or even before, um, they still have a distinct physical advantage. That's what the evidence looks like now. But people get confused and think, oh, no, that means they're not going to have any rights under the Constitution and you're a bigot. No, no, that's not what it means. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, you can't just have any rights anytime for anything. That, that's not what rights mean. You know, so much of what it means to live in a democracy is that you know we have these conflicting rights and we have to vote on it or debate about it or or argue about it and then you know and then we settle in and see how it goes and then have another election and rerun the experiment again and see how it goes. Well, that's, that's, we're in the that's middle right. of one of those and with the trans issue. It's good that I mean, like you raise the issue of of abortion and and mothers and babies. It's like yeah, you got to look at you got to look at both parties. And I understand the law doesn't doesn't recognize rights for a, a baby up until a certain point in viability right now. But you are obviously con- considering the rights or potential rights of both parties involved. And it's the same with trans in a way, because, yes, we want to recognize trans rights, but it, you, there's another party, cis girls or biological girls, cis. A lot right. of people don't know that term, which is why I just keep trying to find another way of saying it. But CIS, cis girls means biological girls. You're born a girl. You identify as a girl. You never change. You're always a girl. Anyway, it's like, great. I want to be supportive of trans girls. But. I also am supportive of biological girls and their rights don't cease mattering just in my, in my effort to recognize the rights of trans girls. What's so irritating. And so I feel like so many people have been shamed into silence because they don't want to see be called bigots. They don't want to be seem, seem like they're unsupportive. What about the what about the other party? The other party has rights, too, that need to be exercised, stood up for and so on. It's revealing that most of the uh, trans sports issues are male transitioning to female and competing in women's sports, not the other way around, uh, right? Because of course. it would be much harder to go from female to male and go, okay, now I'm going to compete in track and field or weightlifting or cycling or whatever. Cycling's my exactly. sport. And there is, there is a huge difference. There's a reason we have women's divisions. It just wouldn't be fair. I mean, Serena Williams herself, the greatest tennis player of all time, uh, says, you know, she wouldn't beat the top hundred men in, in the men's division. So, or know, even college athletes, even that. the top college male players could, could probably be. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, conflicting rights, you got, you have to draw the line somewhere. Now, in the abortion issue, you mentioned that there is a scientific element in, in terms of what the law follows. It is to what extent can, can a conscious creature suffer? So, you know, the law is kind of decided well by the end of the second trimester close to it. Um, you know, we're going to draw the line there. There's no 
no scientist would say yes that's the perfect you know day day 163 hour 12 that's when uh, you know a, a fetus becomes a baby or a person you know you just have the, the law has to just draw the line and have a category well, so then you end up with something when, like when can the baby survive viability that, that's right. So you have something like when Lacey Peterson was murdered by her husband and she was pregnant, I think in her third trimester, I think it was a double homicide. She was eight months, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So there we, I, I think the, the law has followed track pretty, pretty well, the science on that. And, and that's what I like to see us do in terms of, you know, using science to help uh, advance moral uh, progress in, in legal and in, in, in democratic systems like this. Uh, you know, what does the science say? But at some point, you know, we're not going to be satisfied with the science. And, and then we have to just, it's just pure politics. So, well, yes, correct. But I, I will say on the, on the abortion issue, I think it's kind of the opposite of what you said. The science says that's a life. I mean, there's no question that life begins at the moment that that the that the embryo is formed right that 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 the sperm and the egg unite to form a zygote that that is the beginning of life as any scientist would have to admit but we've changed the question right if that were the relevant question can you abort something you know that has begun life abortion would be illegal everywhere we we have a judicially yes, imposed yes. test of when does viability begin and that too is can be answered not with total certainty but with relative certainty um, and it puts the date much later. And this is this goes to the heart of what we've been debating all along, right? Like, which what should be the test to so the people who are pro-life don't want the Supreme Court involved in this at all. But they certainly would like the test to be moved a lot sooner. They don't like viability. And they would say it's a life. It's a life. And it's, I think as a Catholic, this is what we, we wrestle with all the time, because I think an honest person and a scientific one would tell you life begins at conception. Um, and then it's a question of, OK, so how could you be in favor of abortion after that point? Because you'd have to admit you're extinguishing a life, something we Catholics have been wrestling with since 1970 yes. and, and Roe. If we look at it historically, um, you know, men have always tried to lord it over women, particularly their reproductive choices. You know, that's that's kind of the natural state of things. So moral progress for women's rights in part came about from giving women more choices over their reproductive uh, you know, choices that they wanted to make. And so at some point you have, a, you know, again, a conflict. Yes. The moment of conception is a good place to draw the line, uh, but you know, is a is a little packet of sixteen cells the same as an eight month fetus? No, right. you know, there's a huge yeah. continuum difference. At some place, there's a qualitative difference, and uh, well, I mean, this is a complex issue. But if I was going to steel man the pro life position because I'm pro choice, I would say, um, you know, that that women that want to have the baby the moment they get pregnant, they're excited. They talk about my baby. You know, they don't talk about, oh, it's fetal tissue in there, you know, it's uh, or it's a medical procedure. You know, they, they, they use different language. So I, I will acknowledge that for sure. But these are hard issues. I, I, I would rather give women more choices for the many reasons they get pregnant uh, when they don't want to be. And I'd rather shift the conversation to, well, what's the problem we need to solve? The problem is unwanted pregnancies, not abortions. Mm -hmm. uh, and what can we do to decrease the number of unwanted pregnancies? Well, economic empowerment of women, um, you know, accessibility to, um, uh, you know, to birth control, uh, more, more freedom, more choices, more autonomy. That's what drives women to, to have fewer babies, that is to have fewer unwanted pregnancies. And, and there, I think we can find a solution between conservatives and liberals or pro-choice and, and pro-life people is, is that let's work toward the common problem of getting, of lowering the number of unwanted pregnancies.
Yeah, it is. It is such a tricky issue. And I, I generally try to steer clear of abortion because I just have I, I, I've got my own views on it, but I have so many people I love who are on differing sides of it that I just I've, mm-hmm. it's, it's something I've never sort of spoken about publicly in terms of my own view. I just it's too fraught and it's too personal. Um, I will say this, having had three babies now. There's, I don't think there's many women out there who, when you see that beating heartbeat at the eight week mark, would say that's not a life. I mean, it's it, it's not a viable baby, but it's, you know, you see that heartbeat, boy, oh boy, it can change your worldview pretty damn fast. Totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, totally. so let's talk. So on the subject of health, uh, let's talk a bit, a bit about the pandemic, because this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. I have seen uh, people are going nuts. People are going nuts in the wake of this pandemic. Now we're, I don't know how many months in, but initially I thought it was the lockdowns. It's not the lockdowns anymore because that's now we're a year plus past the lockdowns. The the mandatory masking, the mandatory vaccine, the thumb of big government on you, wherever you turn, you know, society turning man against man, woman against woman, right? Like the pressure's on to do this thing or to not do this other thing. And I... I'm seeing it in my own life. People are going nuts. They're changing in ways that are disturbing to me as somebody who still has a foothold in reality and isn't particularly ideological. And I'm sort of like, come back, come back like Rose on the little door in the (laughs) Titanic waters to Jack, come back (laughs) or to the boat that left when she was blowing the whistle. So why? Why, As somebody who studies conspiracies and and understands the effect that things like pandemic have on a people, what's happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cue that Titanic music at this moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Well, I think there's there's several different issues going on here. Um, yeah, the pandemic has kind of uh, you know jolted people into l- different levels of irrationality. I mean, we're, it, these are this is a collective action problem. What can we all do together to solve this problem? We do this all the time. You know, we want an interstate highway, so we all gladly pay tax. Well, not gladly, but we all pay our taxes. Uh, you know, we agree to drive on the right side of the road so that I'm. Free Free to not worry about you coming down the same lane as me in the opposite direction. Uh, you know, we give up all kinds of freedom so that we can be f- even freer of risks. And that's normal. You know, seatbelts, everybody wears seatbelts now. And you, you don't hear any libertarians, you know, well, maybe there's a few, but <laughs> crying out, you know, hey, I should be free to not wear a seatbelt or, or motorcyclists. I should be free not to have to wear a helmet. Yeah, well, I should be free of, you know, having to pay for your health care when you, you know, crack your head open on your motorcycle. I mean, these are common things that used to be debated, but we're, we're acceptable. We accept that now. Or the MMR vaccine, you know, parents routinely get uh, their kids vaccinated with them our vaccines, who will then in five minutes later say, yeah, but I don't trust the uh, COVID-19 vaccines. Well, they're pretty, they're pretty good. I mean, you know, the, this is probably the best vaccine ever invented. And, uh, it, you know, so it's, it's a matter of, in part, getting used to this kind of change. Now, to what extent should the government enforce it? I mean, what I've been seeing is government really doesn't have to do anything. Independent uh, companies and like the university where I teach Chapman, mm-hmm. they just sent out an email saying, you got to be double vaccinated. If you're not, you have to show your exemption. And either way, you have to wear a mask, everybody. So, you know, and the government's not telling them they have to do that. They're just doing that for probably their lawyers probably said, hey, you got to do this just to protect ourselves. And well, OK, all right, that's the rules mm-hmm. and that's the rules. 
And I, so I, I, I'm not crazy about government in, uh, mandated vaccinations or masks. I, I think the, the market can kind of solve the problem as we go along. Um, a second thing, I think on the, free, the freedom issue, people get confused about this. Uh, again, it's what you get used to. Um, and then there's also an element of injecting yourself with an element, a piece of the thing that you don't want to get, because that's what inoculation used to mean. Uh, but these vaccines are not part of it. You're not getting a little piece of the SARS-CoV-2 virus that, uh, that jolts your body into um, being inoculated against the actual disease. It's not like that at all. At all. It's a, you know, an, uh, an, uh, an RNA vaccine, and that's different. So, and, and people aren't quite used to that as well. Uh, the, the break at the moment appears to be, uh, you know, more Republicans are vaccine hesitant than Democrats and more of the kind of Republican dominated states are, are, are have lower rates of vaccination and higher rates of the breakthrough Delta variant. Um, so there, it, it's, it, basically, the fact it's basically that it codes, Republicans and minorities. I mean, that, those are the, the vaccine yes. holdouts. So I'm encouraged to see you know, prominent public conservatives, people like Ben Shapiro, for example, who a lot of younger people look up to, you know, insisting vaccines are definitely the way to go. And, uh, you know, just more people like that, that would speak out and say, just get the vaccine, just do it. And there's been pretty much every day, there's some news story on, I, I pretty much watch ABC World News, and they have one pretty much every night of some conservative line in bed, uh, you know, hacking out his, his interview with COVID-19 saying, I didn't get vaccinated because I'm a strong conservative, or I'm a libertarian. And, mm -hmm. you know, then they're dead the next day, and they orphan their children. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. I mean, just it's get been the unfortunate that it's yeah. gotten it's gotten some sort of partisan affiliation, you know, like you're, you're tough, or you're anti government, or you're, you're a Republican if you're not going to, you know, like if you're not going to get the vaccine, that's all bullshit. This is a health decision. This yes. doesn't have to do with politics. Right. However, there's a lot of reasons we got here. As you know, it's like, you know, Biden, Harris, Andrew Cuomo, all these people expressed some vaccine hesitancy while Trump was in the office. And you can't just mm. undo that with a magic wand. And I think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think in Internet censorship has had a lot to do with it. The more you tell people they, they can't have access to people having skeptical discussions about it, the more they're like, I'm even more skeptical than ever. Right. Like, what are you hiding? Mm -hmm. You must be hiding some information I need to know. Therefore, I definitely am not going to get it. And then I just think that there's the natural. OK, it's new. It, obviously, there's been no long term studies that we can't. No one can dispute that. So yep. I'm going to let somebody else be the guinea pig. So I do think that there are good reasons why somebody would be hesitant and say, mm, I don't know. But I also think it's an extraordinary time. It's extraordinary virus. And you sort of have to do the risk benefit calculation. You know, it's like COVID, too, can cause a lot of havoc in your life. It can take your life, even if you're 50, like I am. The odds are very, very low, but it can. And you don't know what uh, you don't know what the long term effects of COVID are going to be. You don't know what the long term of the vaccine is. You don't mm -hmm. know what the long term of COVID is going to be. Could be, you know, 40 years. We find out it causes some sort of you know, dementia. Right. The actual COVID. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just making mm -hmm. things up right now. But my point is there are risks both ways. And, and the vaccine at least minimizes your risk of death or hospitalization. Yeah. That's right. It's it's assessing the, the the different kinds of risks, and and we should be better at this. It's part of our you know kind of critical thinking program is teach people how to think about probabilities and risk taking. Yes, the COVID nineteen vaccine is far less riskier than getting COVID itself, and so you just you got to do you got to make a choice one way or the other. So. Um, and yeah, of course, uh, you know we don't know what the long term consequences is, and there's there's enough uncertainty 
uh, and issues in the scientific process itself historically uh, that people can be what I call constructively conspiracist. Uh, I, you know, my next big book is on why people believe conspiracy theories. One reason, one of my three big reasons is what I call constructive conspiracism. There's enough real conspiracies in the past. Uh, you know, Watergate or Iran-Contra or, you know, the assassination of Lincoln or the assassination of Franz Ferdinand that triggered the First World War. These are all conspiracies. Volkswagen conspiring to cheat the emission standards, you know, the, the Sackler family and Big Pharma, uh, you mm -hmm. know, scamming and, and conning people to make a profit. There's enough examples of those that reasonable, rational people can look at that and go, yeah, why should I trust big pharma? Look, look at this, this, and this, or why should I trust mm -hmm. this government agency or that big corporation? And, and that's a rational response. <laughs> so, you know, in each case you have to go, okay, that's right. That could be uh, mistaken. There's could be a kind of conspiracy, but, but is it? Because not all conspiracy theories are real. You know, most of them, a majority of them, probably not. But enough of them are that you know it it pays to be uh, you know precautionary. Take employ the precautionary principle. I'm going to wait and see, and that you know that's not an irrational response. Well, that's what's so annoying about the the vaccine mandates. I mean, I'll tell you that we just got one handed down in our in our boys' school. So I have an 11 year old mm. boy and a an eight year old boy, and thankfully. I don't have to make the decision just yet, but my 11 year old is going to be 12 in September. So it's coming. Um, anyway, since the Pfizer vaccine was approved on a you know more permanent basis, now it's no longer the emergency authorization. The school just handed down a vaccine mandate for all boys who are 16 and up. And if you don't get your 16 or older child the vaccine, you have to leave the school. I'm like, right. this is right. kind of crazy. Right. Now, you, you, you know, my 16 year old who's at virtually no risk from COVID at all. Right. Um, and maybe you have a family like mine where you have a long history of heart disease and, I, and you're a little worried about that heart inflammation side effect coming and how can mm. it, how's it going to affect my boy mm. and how long does it last in my boy? All that stuff like that to me is infuriating and and makes me feel that thing I was talking about with the thumb of big government. You're like, get off, get mm -hmm. get off my lawn. <laughs> get out of my business. <laughs> this is a decision for my pediatrician, my son and me, my husband. You're right. Right. But if you're the director of the school, let's say it's a private school and you have lawyers going, hey, you know, if something bad happens, and one of our kids die, we're going to get sued. So we better, you know, take all the precautions we can. Uh, so you kind of see it from their perspective. Uh, I'm going to sue their asses you know, if God forbid anything happens to my kid from taking that vaccine. <laughs> yeah, and trust me, I will be like a dog with a bone. <laughs> Up next, are masks becoming a religion for some people in this country? We'll go there one minute away. I have the vaccine. My, my audience knows I, I, I like the vaccine. I, I think the vaccine is a miracle. I'm really proud of mm -hmm. us. I think I, we should be proud of our <laughs> American ingenuity. Yeah. You know, our Amazing. we're not good at taking like instructions. We're not good at following mandatory rules. That's not in the American spirit. That's why there's been pushback on like quarantining and, you know, the lockdowns and all that. And now the vaccine and, and the mask hesitancy. But um, but we're very good at innovation. We're very good. We're, the Americans are the ones who find the way through tough problems. And it's no accident. Our companies came up with these miracle vaccines and we should be proud of them. Um, mm -hmm. It's not to say that vaccine hesitancy is is always irrational, you know, but I would say. Like you said, you get the vaccine, you know, unless your doctor says, tells you you have a medical reason not to get it, you have a, you have a greater risk from covid, especially if you're a little older than you do from the vaccine. 
Um, but I also see the craziness on the other side, Michael. I don't, these, like the crazy, crazy mask Nazis mm. are driving me insane. <laughs> the, the, mm-hmm. It's very sketchy whether the masks are really an effective tool at stopping COVID, mm-hmm. in particular with our kids, mm-hmm. but with everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, versus social distancing and, you know, being outside mm-hmm. and all that, which we understand and is scientifically backed up. But I am so sick of people looking at people who choose not to wear masks, especially outside, as though they're running around like lepers rubbing their skin against people. And I, the, the craziness is there too. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Well, here I'm in Southern California, other than Santa Barbara area. I've noticed that the they just changed it last week. And like I went into Target with my five-year-old headed straight for the toy section. And then and we didn't have masks and no one said anything. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe they're chilling out. I mean, my position at the moment, this could change, is that, you know, just get everybody vaccinated and let's just get, get back to normal and just, just see what happens for a couple of months. Just everybody go back to normal. But, uh, you know, again, the precautionary principle, I was going to do this as of last week. I tell my students at my class, it starts next week. You know, if you want to wear a mask, fine. If you don't, don't, don't worry about it. I'm not going to wear one. I'm, I'm double vax. I assume you all are. Well, you know, yesterday the dean said, nope, if they're not masked, you got to kick them out of the class. I'm like, oh, man. Ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> and this is a private university. Like, and yeah, I know. I know. I, I just like so that that's also science denial. Right. Because we actually don't have any good scientific study to support the use of masks right now. There's a great piece in New York magazine taking a hard look at the masks yeah, yeah. Uh, just last week. It was, yeah. And it was really like that. they haven't. Yeah. They don't have the proof that masks work. They just, it's just sort of like, okay. And look, I get it. There's a sign up in our pediatrician's office saying like, um, some guy's about to pee on your leg. Would you rather he have his underwear (laughs) and his pants on or have nothing on? I understand. (laughs) There's some prevention there. Droplets coming your way. Right? But um, to, to mandate somebody put a piece, like a fabric across half of their face everywhere they go is such an imposition on one's freedom that yeah. I think you'd have to have extraordinary proof it's going to prevent the virus. And there isn't. And in fact, people have said the opposite from Fauci to this top White House guy who just left, who was running the pandemic response, uh, admitting that these cloth masks do nothing. So I, I just think that back to my original point, people are going a little crazy and they read the quote science to affirm their pre-existing worldviews or to sort of reach the outcome they want anyway. Right. Like, I don't want a mask. So I refuse to see anything, any of the mask information as validating masks and same with the vaccine one way or the other. And I just think like people are in a weakened position right now. They're in a weakened position. There's something about a pandemic and feeling insecure financially, physically, just in all the weird ways we have been. That's making people not their strongest selves emotionally, mentally. You tell me. Yeah, that's right. And a second factor in conspiracism that I, I write about is proxy conspiracism. That is the, the particular conspiracy that you're talking about, let's say it's something crazy like QAnon, uh, it, whether people really believe it or not is kind of beside the point. They it, It's a proxy for something else. Uh, you know, I don't trust big government agencies. I don't trust big corporations. I don't trust those scientists or those farm, big pharma. You know, they're always cheating the system and that kind of thing. Uh, and, and so even if I say, show you, there's no 
pedophile ring at the out of the comet ping pong pizzeria in washington dc and there's no basement there and you know that one guy edgar welch who went there with his gun you know was quite surprised to, to find that there's no pedophile ring there but most mm-hmm. people didn't do that they they just kind of yeah i mean polls showed something like a third of republicans and a, even maybe a fifth of democrats think there might be something to the QAnon conspiracy theory you know and and i find it hard to believe that anybody could believe this so uh, i i think it's a proxy for something Something else like yeah even if i show you that there's no pedophile ring there you're not going to turn around and vote for hillary you're never going to vote for hillary right this was always a proxy for i don't trust democrats uh, or i don't trust liberals or those far left progressives and and so the you know it's kind of a stand-in the analogy i make in, in my forthcoming book is the oj trial in a, in a way you know johnny cochran and, and and the rest they floated a conspiracy theory that that the LAPD planted the bloody glove and the blood splatter and so forth, because that's what LAPD do. You know, they're, they're racist. And, you know, the jury, for whatever reason, uh, you know, bought that. That's a kind of conspiracy theory. But, you know, then there, I was watching this ESPN series on OJ, which wasn't really about OJ. It was about the African-American community in Southern California, particularly Los Angeles, from the 1950s on when they migrated from the South to L.A., after the Second World War, and then how the LAPD interacted with them. And it's horrible. It's just terrible. I mean, everything that, that an African-American today might say, uh, you know, that that police are racist and so on. Well, they were, and they used to plant evidence and things like that. Now, by the 90s, that was no longer the case, but it was a reasonable kind of a proxy conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, whether OJ, he probably did it, but, you know, but cops really do plant bloody clubs they really do plant evidence to get to get the mm-hmm. who they think the perpetrator is and it was so a chance I, I not think to a just lot to quit oj but to indict the system exactly yeah exactly so you know i think a lot of specific conspiracy theories whether vaccines or masks or you know anything um even if i go look well here's the evidence showing you why vaccines work or whatever it's like that that isn't actually the point the point is something else you know again a, a lot of people don't trust science as it is a reliable institution to produce uh you know reliable knowledge well why is that well you know then they'll rattle off well tuskegee and and you know nuclear weapons or you know they'll, they'll have a, a, enough uh you know the replication crisis or fraud in science where people make up the data you know just to advance their careers or whatever uh you know i can counter all those but you know th- those are not completely crazy uh reasons to to be a little skeptical of science as an institution well and now i mean so science as an institution i mean right now sadly it's represented by the face of dr fauci who has <laughs> yeah. admitted to lying to us so many times he's reversed himself on so many things it's like all right dr fauci i'm sorry but no you if you're the face of science and which he says of himself if you attack him he says you're attacking science um then no i'm out then i guess i'm not scientific yeah, that's right. i don't believe we you. should not don't <laughs> you sacrifice your yeah, credibility put- <laughs> and i accept that conclusion Right. Yeah. So, you know, part of the point of science is you don't, it's not an argument from authority, you know, no one's omniscient, not even Fauci. And uh, so, no, don't trust him, but, but trust the institution. Don't believe any one particular climate scientist. It's the entire climate science community. That's very competitive. They don't know each other. They try to debunk each other. They work in different fields. Uh, and, and so my confidence is reasonably high on this particular issue that global warming is real and primarily human 
been caused, uh, which is separate from, is it going to be an existential threat? You know, no, I don't think so. Uh, so we can do something about it. But but my confidence is is, is not a faith in science or any one particular scientist. It's, it's that it, it works pretty well when there's independent lines of inquiry and they all point to the same Okay, uh, but what about, let, let me like, challenge you on that. What, what about what we're hearing yeah. now from the scientific, quote, scientific community on um, back to the trans issue about the new standard of care is a firm, a firm, a firm, a firm. It doesn't matter if it's a 14 year old yes. kid, a 10 year old kid going in there saying, I think I'm trans, even though if left alone between 70 and 85% of the kids will grow out of it. No, the new standard is to affirm you are trans and start talking about treatment options. That's quote science that's coming down from the scientific community and it's bullshit. It is. It is bullshit. <laughs> I've looked at this pretty carefully after I had I had uh, Abigail Schreier on my podcast, and then I got a lot She's of pushback wonderful. from my own people. She's great. Yeah. Well, then they go, well, but the science says this and that, mainly what you just said about the uh, affirmation. And then, so if you go to the pa- the actual literature, if you read the abstracts only, it looks like uh, she misrepresented the science a little bit. But if you actually read the papers, no, actually she got it right. That that there is no evidence that affirming uh, whatever it is the, the person says that they identify as is not enough. I mean, there has to be many, many more steps in between. And, the, and really the science is so new. I mean, I think the analogy I make is it's like, this is climate science in the 1970s or 80s. We don't know. I mean, we need another decade or two of research on this. And uh, you know, to I mean, we have no idea. Back to the transports. You know, to what extent that you take testosterone um, blockers if you're a male to female trans person, say in your teens or early twenties, and you go, okay, I'm going to block my testosterone and, and and so forth. We have no idea to to, to what extent that's going to work. I don't think it's going to work uh, nearly enough to make you the equivalent of a female athlete. But, you know, some people say, well, yes, it does. Here's this paper. So you read the abstract. It goes, yeah, it looks like it. That supports your position. But then you actually read the paper. You go, well, no, actually, you know, the end was like 11 people. It's just nothing. Mm-hmm. And it was never replicated. Right. So you know, you're well, pro- look, you're look what's happening now in the medical community. Right. Barry Weiss has been doing great stuff on her sub stack with this with, um, you know, you, you can no longer refer to mothers, it's birthing people, and you'll get chastised in the medical right. schools these days if you actually assume biological sex by looking at somebody. I would argue that is all anti-scientific. You can say my yeah, gender totally, identity totally. is different, but like all of that stuff undermines faith in science at capital S by the regular Joe Schmo out there. You know, he's like, oh, I'm yes, not trusting any yes. medical community that tells me a man's a woman, a woman's a man, or, you know, all that stuff. I think it has real world consequences. And I, I feel like maybe as a result, I think I am more um, sympathetic toward the people who are vaccine skeptical than I hear in your voice. But you tell me, do you understand how all that collectively would make somebody say, I don't trust yes. quote, science? Yeah, that, that's what I mean by a proxy conspiracy. You know, the specific one is a proxy for something larger. And then they'll throw in examples like what you just gave. People who give birth. If only we had a name for that. If it's just a single <laughs> word, what could it be? Uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's Mother. just. Oh, wait, that's uh, offensive. Again, <laughs> uh, well, so there again, people are confused, and this is mostly coming from the far left or the progressive left or whatever you want to call them. And and so centrists are people slightly on the right, and they look at that and go, "Well, this is what liberals believe." No, actually, most liberals don't believe that. That's you know, right. centrists are just to the left of, of center. So again, we need a, a, a much more 
granular spectrum of political positions because then uh, it it becomes harder to lump people into those. So uh, although I'm kind of socially liberal as I, we started off with, I, I, I completely agree with you on all those particular issues. And it's not just that I'm an old white guy, so of course I think that no, <laughs> you know, where's your your evidence that uh, you know that if a fetus born with a penis and the doctor's standing there looking at it and has to tick the box, male or female, and that it's pretty much random. He could just flip a coin because who knows what this child is going to grow up to it's identify crazy. as. This is no, absurd. Want, I mean, we're, talk, a new, we're talking they, about they like, want a, a, a new box for they're calling them babies. 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 Oh my God. I haven't, I haven't heard that one. Okay. <laughs> Help me. Yeah. Well, Help I, me. I, okay. Hopefully uh, this too shall pass. <laughs> I've been right. telling my wife this for right. five years. I've been telling my wife this for six years since she moved here from Germany. And she's like, what is with Americans and sex and gender, all this craziness? I, I just keep telling, don't worry. This is just like one of these crazy pendulum things. It's going to swing back any right. week now. And, yeah. And it, well, and, and I mean, it, it the next yet. big war or actual problem we have will allow us to focus on you know, something, the outside enemy, you know, the Herb Brooks, remember the, 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 mm. the, the story of the miracle of on ice, right? Herb Brooks brought all these ice hockey mm -hmm. players from all these different colleges against each, uh, to play together. And they were total rivals and he gave them a common enemy, which bonded them. And frankly, that's kind of how America worked for a long time. We had the Russians, we had, well, first we had, we had World War II, right? Then we had the Russians in the Cold War. Malcolm Gladwell was joking. He'd like to go back to those years, right? Because it's like the common enemy is like very clear who the enemy is, but nobody's yeah. actually getting killed. Um, and then we, you know, we've had <laughs> right. terrorism, we've had terrorists for the past 20. And now it's like, not that we've solved that problem, but thank God it's been kind of quiet and we're turning on each other. We're making up stupid problems and really working ourselves up into a lather. I mean, the, the wokeism is another cult. I agree with you that Trumpism, like the hardcore Trumpism, 100% can be a cult. Mm -hmm. And we can go through the list of what the yeah. criteria are, but it's chilling. Um, but wokeism is another form. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the analogy, it's like a religion, is, is reasonable to make because religion's not just having a supernatural being in the in the worldview. It's a lot more than that. And so this idea of, well, if you go back to like Nazism or communism or Marxism, that's kind of a faux religion. You have something like a figurehead at the top, a Hitler or a Stalin or a Marx. And then you have original sin, you know, whatever you believe on the other side, you have to atone for that. And that's what wokeism is. I mean, you are—we are all born, or you know, anti-racism. We're all born racist. That's your sin. Uh, but I'm not a racist. Well, you don't even know you're a racist. You're an unconscious racist. And this is all based, premised on these this um, scientific theory that you can test people. This this kind of subconscious. Uh, test where you uh, associate faces with different kinds of words. And this is not replicate. This did not survive the replication crisis. Uh, in fact, it, it appears to be just um, measuring your response rate to things you're familiar with or not familiar with. So I'm a white guy, so I'm more familiar with white faces than black faces today. So I'm going to respond slower or faster to different faces. It's not measuring some unconscious racial bias that I have, but I still see this uh, cited over and over and over. Uh, by by liberal scientists, and it's like you know we've debunked that. I, you know, we, in Skeptic Magazine, we've we've debunked this like a dozen times, and uh, you know, citing peer reviewed uh, journals saying no, this this is this is not withheld 
you know, replication. It, it did not survive the replication crisis. It's out. It's not a viable argument. But people, so there, but there doesn't seem to matter what the evidence is. It's like you're born racist. So now you have to atone for that. And, you know, then, then people start talking about reparations or whatever. Mm-hmm. So here, again, another example of, you know, well, this is what the science says. No, actually, it doesn't. So the rest of it doesn't follow. But if you're in a cult or a religion, none of that matters. This is what we believe. And full stop. And, 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 and in a way, I mean, many religious doctrines are like that. You know, whether you accept Jesus was resurrected and died for your sins or not is not a scientific question. Either believe it or you don't. If you don't, maybe you're Jewish or Muslim and you do, you're a Christian or Catholic or whatever. And, and so I think for wokeism, it's a little bit like that. Um, it's more like a religious truth rather than something grounded in, in, in empiricism. And in that case, it should be. <laughs> grounded in empiricism, whereas religious claims like the resurrection, I, I think can't be tested. Mm-hmm. Well, this is how they get away with it, phrases like my truth, or she told her truth. My truth it's yes. like, well, I don't know what yes. the hell that is. Yes, personal experience is not a, a reliable form of, of knowledge. And we know this from now half a century of cognitive psych research that, you know, we all have our confirmation bias and hindsight bias and my side bias. And there's like a hundred of these biases. What you experience is not reliable. You know, it's personal. That's fine. uh, But it's not a truth. If you think about what is truth, well, most of us want it to be grounded in some kind of rationality and empiricism that it's not just me. So here's an analogy I make, you know, if I say, well, I like dark chocolate and you go, well, I, I think milk chocolate's better. Well, there's, there's no experiment we're going to run to decide who's right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or I think, you know, Stairway to Heaven's the greatest rock song of all time. And you think it's, uh, I don't know, Freebird or I don't know what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you probably have different choices than me. But, there, you know, that's just a personal truth or preference. You know, it's like, I, you know, I like this form of art and you like that form of art. But, and I think that's how people are trying to think about other issues that are not just personal preferences, you know, rights and, and you know, the, the stuff on scientific grounding of, of different kinds of claims. Those aren't just personal. The whole point of science is that, you know, here's my evidence and my arguments. Now you, you can evaluate them and you tell me what you think. And I'm not, it's not just me who thinks this. I'm trying to make a claim that you should believe it too. And maybe you do, maybe you don't. And then we have a debate about it. And, uh, you know, the other analogy I make is like, if I say, well, meditation works for me. And then you say, well, I tried it, it didn't work for me. Okay, that, that's still at that kind of personal truth level. But what my friends in, in the business of meditation want to argue is that, no, no, I'm, I'm not claiming it works just for me. I mean, it's, it's really good for most people, you know, meditating 40 minutes a day, six days a week will you know, lower your stress levels or whatever. They want to say it really works. And, and that's that, that the difficult transition from personal truth to empirical truths. And I do, I agree that I think a lot of the woke and anti-racism stuff is in this personal uh, truth category. So I read all those books, you know, the Ibram X. Kendi's books and, and Isabel Wilkinson's book and so on. And, and, you know, it's hard for me as a white guy to go, you know, I just don't accept your your arguments because most of them are just anecdotes. You know, I was on the subway and this person said this to me and and I think, God, that's just so bad that this person would say something like that. Really racist. But, it, you know, but th- those are just anecdotes. What we really want to know as a society is, well, is that getting worse or better? Are there more people doing that? Fewer people doing that? And, you know, there, then we can transition from, well, that's my personal experience, America's racist, versus what I want to argue is like, well, but 
is it racist compared to say 1950s or 1850s? And, mm -hmm. you know, we can actually track through data that, you know, things are getting better. People are a lot less racist than they used to be. You know, and it's I'll say something like, remember when when uh, interracial marriage was illegal in a in a thing? Most people right. today go, no, what? Like, yeah, 1967, the Supreme Court finally voted that, you know, interracial Love marriage is not Virginia. illegal. It's like, what? Yeah, it's like, wow, we've come a long way. So what troubles me about the anti-racism movement is they're, they're portraying it in a kind of a black and white way, if you will, that, you know, if there's any incidents of racism anywhere, then America's as bad as it's ever been. It's like, no, no. <laughs> it, well, it's it's a very frustrating you know? because the, the other piece of it is as you then cite data, like let's take the, I heard you on um, our, our mutual friend Coleman Hughes' show. If you, mm. Coleman's been great about putting actual numbers to the police shooting mm -hmm. issue. And mm -hmm. they're not what the woke people tell us they are, right? I mean, it's, a, I think in, in uh, last year it was uh, 18 unarmed black men were killed by police. The year before mm -hmm. that, it was, I think, mm -hmm. 14 Right. And then if you poll most people, especially liberals, especially progressives, I should say, sort of far left progressives, some think it's it's in the thousands. Some would say 10,000 unarmed black men are mm -hmm. killed by police a year. I mean, that's, that's completely wrong. And if you then cite data, real data, I mean, those are knowable numbers for the most part. Um, you get called a racist for that. That's don't throw your facts and figures in my face. This is my lived experience. You know, all cops are racist. Mm -hmm. And they shoot unarmed black men. Well, they do sometimes, but the numbers are way down from where they used to be. And they're sh shooting far less unarmed people in general than they ever used to and far, far less people than they ever used to. And OK, we're not even allowed to talk about those things because even just to discuss it under the new religion of wokeism is a form of bigotry. You just must accept there's no discussion. There's only acceptance by the people objecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, some of that research you decided was actually conducted by my organization at Skeptic, the Skeptic Research Center. We actually polled, right? it was, I think it was 2,100 Americans randomly selected of, you know, how many people they think are shot each year by cops. And then we, you know, what, you're right. Liberal, you're right, Michael. I actually, yeah, I knew yeah. that I should have given you credit because I actually just pulled this <laughs> for another interview and I never got to, I was going to interview Heather McDonald and we never got to cops, oh, yes. but I had that. You're yes. right. And I had you cited in my outline. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so <laughs> it's an interesting story. The next, uh, you know, we we released that I think on a Thursday, and then you know the next Monday I see Tucker Carlson talking about it, and, and he's got our graphic up on the screen. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> it's it's incredible. <laughs> so so I contacted his uh, producer and I said, yeah, yeah, you know, I, we have a lot more data. You, you know, you should have me on, and I'll, we'll talk about this. And uh, and it's like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. I said, by the way, we have some uh, information showing that. Uh, you know, Republicans and conservatives, they they also distort uh, perceptions, you know, depending on their particular issue, like on immigration, how many immigrants are coming here or abortion rates or, you know, what percent of American uh, U.S. budget is is allocated for foreign uh, foreign affairs or support of other countries. And so so uh, in, in other words, we all distort and liberals are distorting on that particular one. Well, anyway, they didn't seem all that interested in, in, in showing that Republicans and conservatives also That's distort. Funny. We all do you know it's not fair to just say it's just the liberals uh but 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 on that particular issue it is and again here i think people are conflating rights and and and, and data you know it doesn't matter
how many uh, blacks are killed by cops. You know, this should never happen, but 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 that it, it happens a little or a lot. You know, that the difference matters. I mean, ha- what is the number? Um, and and so, but people think, well, if the number is low, the, uh, 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 I, I want the number to be high so that I can insist that uh, the police system be reformed so that we can all have civil rights or something like that. Again, they're confusing the concept of rights. Uh, you know, the number should be zero, but but it's not zero. So how about we just treat it as a problem to be solved? Let's lower the number. Well, how do you do that? Well, you don't do that through defunding the police or putting everybody at Starbucks through every employee at Starbucks through some sensitivity training program, because 99% of the people working at Starbucks are probably uber liberal. They're probably not mm-hmm. racist at all. So you're just wasting your time. And, uh, you know, I've had employee at Chapman University, like everybody else there, I have to go through these computer programs and they're just hilarious. First of all, they're easy to hack. It's obvious what they're asking. It's, it's obvious what the correct answer is, which is contact HR and tell somebody at right. HR what the problem is. Up next, cults. Michael's written a lot on cults. And how do you know if you're in one? By the way, I was. I think I was. We'll talk about it. Um, and how do you get one out of one? Not actual cults, right? But things that really have a lot of the characteristics of cults. You might be in one right now and you might not realize it. Might be affecting your mental health in ways you do not know. And uh, we'll talk about some of the more famous ones <laughs> in one minute. I think you're going to find this interesting. But first, before we get to that, I want to bring you a feature we have here on the MK Show called Asked and Answered. Steve, why don't you explain how it works? Wow. Okay. Got it. Caught off guard. <laughs> um, all right. I guess how it works is that we look at uh, all of the emails that listeners send to us at questions at devilmaycaremedia.com. We get a lot in there. Keep them coming. Uh, and we also look at our social media accounts at Megan Kelly Show on all of your social media platforms for questions to ask you and have you uh, have you answer them. So this one today. So the reason, the yeah. reason I wanted you to explain that is because I... I tell the audience that I read all the reviews on Apple podcasts and I do, I've read all of them over 20,000 now. And, um, one of them said, I would like to hear more from Steve. <laughs> and I thought, Steve, you can just text me. You don't have to get to me on Apple comments. <laughs> I was going to say my dad, my dad like, likes to leave reviews, <laughs> literally has left reviews in that Apple section. So probably was him. Oh, cute. <laughs> well, if it is your dad, he, he deserves it. He deserves a yes too. So, um, Take it away. <laughs> All right. I'm glad I could, uh, could could satisfy that one Apple reviewer. Uh, Taylor Anderson has a question for you. Uh, she says, I had a question regarding you pulling your kids from the New York school district. Uh, and But she also wants to know about those who are unable to do so. She says, I fully support your right and your choice. But what about those that can't afford it? Mm, my That hurts, Taylor. I get it. Trust me, I get it. I, I've got dough at this point in my life, but I spent most of my life without it. Uh, where that wouldn't have been a choice. And my kids were in private school, so I, I, we moved them to a different private school. But when you're in public school, you pay taxes, and so they have to take your kid. And that's kind of the deal, right? You pay your taxes, and that pays for the education, and you want to take advantage of it. And um, a lot of people have jobs. They have houses they can't sell. It's not that easy to just pull up stakes and leave the school district. So trust me, I do get that. Uh, if that were my situation, I think I would do a, one of a couple things. I would consider other public school districts if there were any nearby where we could reasonably move and I could get my kids in, where I didn't have to quit my job and find a new one. If that were not an option, I would take a hard, hard look at how much it would cost to, to homeschool, right? Like, is there any way I could do it with my husband, with the community? Because it's not now not all up to mom and dad. There are great, great homeschooling communities. That can make this a lot easier on a parent, though not as easy as sending them off to the school building. And I get that too. 
But the the number of people homeschooling their children now has skyrocketed. It was like went from three percent to twenty percent of uh, families. I think I just saw uh, the the latest stat. So anyway, it's a it's a reasonable option to at least consider. Okay, it's not like so crazy you shouldn't even consider it. But the but the last suggestion I'd have, and to be honest, probably the most practical one, is I would be all over that school district's lesson plans like white on rice. I would be so much more involved in what they're learning than I normally am, frankly, as a working mom. And frankly, even if I weren't a working mom, I don't think it'd be all over administrative you know, issues and all the agendas that are, I don't know. Um, but even now, as somebody who likes the school district that we went to, I'm going to be way more attentive to agendas. And certainly if I were stuck in the public school and I couldn't leave it, I'd be really attentive to agendas. And man, would I be a squeaky wheel. They'd be hearing from me by email. I'd be at all the board meetings. I would be organizing parents. I'd be getting strength in numbers. So it wasn't just me that's the only pain in the ass parent. Um, So you don't want them taking that out on your kid, which they sometimes do. Uh, But you got to fight if you can't move, right? It's like back to the art of war, right? If you're outmatched, don't fight. But if you must, fight. And if you can get colleagues to fight with you, you know, brethren, brothers, sisters, so much the better. But if you're stuck there, you got to fight. You can't just surrender to it. And even if you can't fight at the school board level and stop the agenda, which you should not give up on, you can fight in a more powerful way, which is you've got your kid's ear. You live with your kid. You got you still have a greater influence over your kid than the teacher does. Maybe not than the peers, but than the teacher. And start early. You know, explain to them what indoctrination is. And by the way, I don't think you do that by you yourself indoctrinating, right? Teach the value of critical thinking. Teach and live the value of allowing opposite viewpoints and then debating them respectfully. Um, Make sure your children understand that you appreciate different worldviews and letting the best one win, but fighting it out, not demonizing one's enemy, right? Like all these things will set them up to reject dogma, which is what the school districts, the teachers want to shove down their throats and certainly not of K through 12 and at college. So I think that's sort of a baseline you can instill in your own kid that will protect them against the school district's approach that doesn't align with that. Uh, And if you can immerse yourself in a community where your friends are doing the same with their kids, so your kid's not alone, so much the better, right? I know some people say, just go move and live by people who share your values. Well, it's not that easy, you know? I mean, look at me, I'm in media. Media is, it's a New York thing, or maybe LA, maybe DC. Those are not towns that share my values. So you got to counter program. You got to be clever about it. It's not always so easy to pick up stakes. Anyway, I appreciate that question, Taylor, and I'm rooting for you. And, you know, you could also play the Megan Kelly podcast on your way to work, school, while you're dropping them off. We'll get to them together. Steve, would you like to comment? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. It actually, I do have a thought here because I, my, my son just started kindergarten and uh, I'm, I'm in a school district in Texas that is uh, defying the governor's mask mandate um, and no uh, is requiring masks uh, for every child, including kindergartners uh, who are just oh, starting for the first time to learn you know, how to socialize in a seven hour day after they've been in preschool for three hours and, and not really doing much of it. So it's really frustrating. Uh, you know, it, it's totally 
I've I've weighed leaving Facebook comments or saying something, you know, at the at the school meetings, and, and I haven't yet. Um, but it, it's definitely frustrating, and I and I, you know, it's it's a different thing. It's it's sort of you know physical versus versus you know mental and socialization. But it's just it really, yeah. uh, it's it's going to come to a head everywhere, and and it's it's certainly something that I think everyone's wrestling with. That's infuriating. And can I tell you a good friend of mine? She was just she's a she teaches preschool. And she was just told that she's when she goes back, she has a class of four-year-olds and a class of two-year-olds. Um, the two-year-olds are going to have to wear mandatory masks. Two-year-olds. And she, it, last I spoke to her, was going to go back to her school and say, I'm not teaching that class. That is not consistent with my values. I will not be somebody who enforces that on a bunch of babies. Yeah. <laughs> Nor can you run even a preschool like that. And so, like, you need. You need brave teachers like her and you need parents like you, like Taylor, like me to either make the point by being vocal, make the point by walking, taking our money with us and our great kids, right? Like more and more people are just starting to do it. I, I feel like long term, we're going to win this. I really do. But the masking of children at age five or two is outrageous. Let's keep in mind, they don't mask. They haven't been masking kids in most of Europe throughout the pandemic, certainly not anybody under 12, right? So it's like, and they're fine. And they're way more uptight on a lot of these pandemic things than we are. Like, like right. this is like in England where you can't go outside of your little circle. Uh, well, they don't mask their kids. We're, we're the only ones who refuse to acknowledge that that A, probably isn't doing anything. And B, if it's doing anything, um, it, the harm way outweighs any potential good. Right, exactly, and it's and it's the kind of thing where it's like, look, if you want to send your kid who's in kindergarten a mask, you're certainly able to do that, but not everyone has to follow that. That's that was the the deal with banning mask mandates, not banning masks in schools. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not currently the the way things are here in my district. But I, we'll see I how have goes. to say, I'm going to say one other thing on this. I hate mask mandates, and I hate the masks. Um, I understood when we were at the height of the pandemic, whatever. Okay. No, I, it's done. I am so over the damn mask and I am really over the mask for my kids. Um, but I don't have any choice. The schools that we like, right, for they're not ideological, but they're very COVID terrified. They're mandating the masks. As I mentioned, they're mandating the vaccines. Um, and it, and it's, it's upsetting, right? It's like, but what I hate so much of the mask is these COVID fear porn mongers have managed to get their their hand over my face over the face of my child you know they're they're making me put something on my child's face that i don't want there it's so intrusive it it really genuinely angers me it makes me feel fire in the belly and when you're talking about a 5 year old i mean i'm sure you feel it too yeah yeah and that's and that's the thing. I get you know people make the argument. Oh, look, it's just a piece of cloth. Who cares? First of all, you're you're proving why masks don't really work that well. The ones you're you're talking about, these pieces of cloth that do nothing. But second of all, if you if you feel strongly about it, go for it. Wear three masks. I don't care. But don't tell me I have to wear a mask. I'm I'm vaxxed anyway. So I, you know the whole thing is is infuriating and and non scientific. And but that's that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. Mm. Well, anyway, good discussion. Maybe they were right about you, Steve. <laughs> Steve Krakauer, always a pleasure. Thanks. You too. <laughs> back, to, back to our guest, Michael Shermer, in one minute.
Well, that's like at Fox News. They Long before the Roger Ailes scandal and he went down and all these guys started to go down for sexual harassment, they used to make us take twice a year we had to take sexual harassment seminars. Ever since they came out that Bill O'Reilly harassed Andrea mm-hmm. Macris back in 2004, I think I had just started working there. So it was like, oh, my God, we have to pay attention to sexual harassment because this made the papers and it was very well known. He gave her a big payout. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm like, why the hell do I have to go to these things and suffer through this? Right. Okay. Well, I guess I'll go, but because I have to, I have no choice, but I'm telling you the guys, right. half of them were using it for ideas. <laughs> this is not helpful to anybody. <laughs> like, oh, wait. Funny. So what you're saying is the line is here, not there. Okay. Got it. That's how it encompasses a whole new group of things I can do. <laughs> and these scenarios they present in these, in these training programs are just hilarious. They're so politically correct, you know? So it's like, uh, I mean, it, it's well known now that as a professor, you know, don't sleep with the students. Don't even think about it. It's like, and we've been told this since the nineties, like, okay, I got it. I got it. You know, in the seventies, yeah. when I was in college, you know, this happened a lot. <laughs> so and, and it's right. like, okay, the rules have changed. Now we know. Right. So, but then you'll see these scenarios, like, you know, that, that you, you witness a p- professor, uh, you know, making a comment to a student, but, it, but, but it has to be balanced. It has to be a female professor hits on a male student. It's like, oh yeah, yeah right. that used to happen all the time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Exactly. Pam. Oh, what was the woman? Uh, Pamela Smart. Is she the one who had the affair and had or the, the yes, yes. kid killed her husband? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's rare enough you know, that, that a female teacher will have sex with a male student. It's, it's rare enough. It's, it becomes the it joke fodder for uh, late night comedians. It's just, it just almost never happens. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, that's, so that's an example of, you know, these training, this is a waste of time. I assume that the lawyers at the universities all say, we got to do this because if we get sued, then we can say, Hey, we put that guy through our program. So we're, our hands are washed. Right. There's probably some legal reason. But again, for in terms of moral progress, it, it comes from targeting specific problems, you know, not like the police, but that police department right there, that's the one where, you know, three of the eight officers are, you know, noted white supremacists. Okay, target that. That's the problem. Not like mm-hmm. let's defund all police because that's just, a, it's not going to work. Can I ask you this? And, and that's, you know. um, I know that you've, you've written a lot about cults and myths and, and that kind of thing. And to me, it's like, pretty jarring. I, I'm way into cults. I've done a ton of stories on cults. just find them fascinating. Yeah. And um, yeah. when I go through your list of cult characteristics, number one, I, I realized I was in a cult when I was at Fox News. <laughs> totally. In really? For long. Yes. I mean, a lot of things I have to say, don't get me wrong. I, I had a lot of great years there and I, I love a lot of people there, but it's got a lot of the characteristics. Okay. I'm going to go through your mm-hmm. list veneration of the leader, excessive glorification mm-hmm. of a leader. Okay. Now I want, I do want the Trump diehards to listen to this and you tell me whether this does not apply to the most fervent Trump crowd, not, not all Trump supporters, but the most fervent. Okay. Excessive glorification of the leader, uh, inerrancy of the leader belief. The leader cannot be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, omniscience of the leader, acceptance of beliefs and pronouncements on virtually all subjects from the sublime to the ridiculous hundred percent. This is like, because right now I'm thinking about Roger Ailes at Fox, but it could also mm. apply to Trump, mm. among others. Uh, dissent is discouraged. Questioning and doubt are punished. Uh, absolute truth. Belief that the leader uh, of the group has a method of discovering final knowledge on all subjects. Absolute morality. They have their own system of right and wrong. In group, out of group mentality. Us versus them mentality. 100%. My God, this is so true. Mm. Um, ends justify the means leads members to do unethical things that they would never have done before joining the group, hidden agendas, potential recruits are not given full disclosure, 
I remember saying to my friends long, like when I sort of was getting higher up in the Fox News organization, um, I, I didn't need to know all these secrets. I didn't need to be brought into the inner fold. I didn't need to, you mm. know, like there was a lot that he started mm. sharing with me where I was like, oh my God, I, I, now I see the man behind the curtain and I don't, I don't, I didn't need to see, need to see that man. Mm. Uh, financial or sexual exploitation. Hello. Group think and no accountability, isolation and aggressive recruitment practices. I just, mm. I mean, it's kind of jarring, right? Like Fox had this leader, Roger Ailes, who a lot right. of this applied. And then the Republican Party had this leader. Earlier, you referred to Trump, at, like Trumpism is far right. I think it's not. I think it's populist. You know, so it's like shooting yes, darts at a board. Yes, yes, you right. never know where they're going to come down right. on any issue. Right. But the diehards, right. the veneration of the leader, inerrancy, dissent is discouraged, in group, out of group. You know, he can say anything and it's right. My God, how did it happen? Why? Why did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Here's a question. Do the people that follow Trump or Roger Ailes in your example, do they really believe it or are they are they kind of going along with it? We have this concept in social psychology called pluralistic ignorance or the spiral of silence where everybody thinks everybody else thinks something when in fact they don't, most don't. And, and this can be kind of hover along for quite some time unless somebody speaks out. And um, so, uh, I mean, just an analogously, like with QAnon and Trump says, yeah, these are fine people. And, I, you know, but who knows, there might be something to it. And then other Republicans kind of fall into line, just using that as an extreme example. Yeah, yeah, I think there's something to QAnon. Do they really believe that or are they just kind of saying it because, well, I guess other people in the party believe it. So I'll just say I believe it. But in the, you know, sort of the quiet of their own mind, they think, is there really a democratic pedophile secret satanic cult at a pizzeria in Washington? That can't be true, right? So, uh, you know, to what extent, I guess, you know, did, did people in your example at Fox re really go along with this or are they thinking, well, I kind of got to go along with it. I'll just say I do, but in, in, in my heart, I don't believe it. You know, but it, it's funny how the group morphs as an amoeba to support certain narratives, you know, like, you know, there was something about Rod, like Roger's a genius. Roger's such a genius. You know, mm. Roger's the one who thought of this. Mm. Roger's the one who thought of the other thing. And then you'd find out, well, actually, that was thought of by Rupert, or actually, that was given to him mm. by the following consultant. And I'm not saying that he wasn't a television genius. I, I believe he was. But this is a narrative that was sort of pushed at every turn and and like reinforced by posters around the building. And you don't, you mm. sort of get a little brainwashed without realizing that you're getting brainwashed. Do you know what I mean? And then it's only once you're out of yeah. the cult that you can look back and see more clearly, like, eh, maybe that wasn't true. And maybe, you know, the, this group that was demonized at every turn within that group isn't all bad. And maybe we could be more open-minded. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it takes extraction. But I am somebody who's never been ideological. I'm really not. A, that's why I'm open-minded to most points of view and can have conversations with people across the aisle. I think I'm the exception. I, I feel like... Yeah. A lot of people easily get sucked into these groups and never get out. I remember watching you on Fox News thinking she's different from the other hosts. And, and now I see see what that difference was. There's that scene in that uh, movie about everything that happened with you and, and the other women and Roger and so on, uh, where they, they all came in wearing T-shirts. I think it was I Believe I believe Roger or I Trust yeah, Roger. Yeah, Team Roger. with the T-shirts. Team Roger, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was very cult-like, right? Mm -hmm. Um yeah. So again, the question, let's take North Korea, you know, after um, Kim Jong-un's father died, Kim Jong-il, uh, you know, there was like weeks of these uh, videos of people just weeping, just hysterically, particularly the women just on the ground, just rolling around and sobbing. 
Now, they can't possibly really feel that kind of grief. I think it's kind of a theater in a oppressive state like that, where everybody thinks everybody else believes this, so I better go along with it, when in fact, probably most of them didn't believe that. And there's new evidence now I've been reading on the, you know, the Holocaust, Hitler, the Nazis, and so on. You know, they came to power in a, with a minority party. And then, you know, through dictatorial uh, moves, you know, just took over power, oppressed the, suppressed the media and so on. And, uh, but, but to what extent did the average German go along with the Nazi program? Well, of course, most of them liked the economic policies that, you know, pulled Germany out of the um, depression, but, you know, the kind of exterminationist policies of Hitler, it it looks now like, even though most Germans were anti-Semites, like most Europeans and Americans at that time, uh, most of them did not go along with the idea of the kind of extermination of the Jews. That was definitely a, a pretty much a Hitler only, and a few of his crazy acolytes like Himmler. Um, most Germans, I think, did not go along with that. But you couldn't speak out for two reasons. One, you know, you could be locked up and sent to a concentration camp. And two, most of them probably thought most everybody else went along with it. So I'll just keep my mouth shut and keep my head down. And I think a lot of systems that are cult-like can be held aloft for quite some time, in this case, 12 years for the uh, Nazis, uh, w- without a majority of people believing it. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so that that brings me back to wokeism, which is is like a cult. But there is no, how does it fit? Because there's no, quote, leader to venerate or excessively glorify yeah. exactly. There's no leader to never be in error, to have omnis- omniscience. Um, I don't, like, so can it still be a cult if it doesn't hit all yeah, of I the criteria? So. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the my, my list of cult cri- criteria and, and depending on who you read, the, the list varies a little bit. It's a little bit like the DSM-R uh, in, in uh, DSM-5R in, in psychiatry, you know, what, what constitutes a, you know, a, a, a schizophrenic or a paranoid delusion or, or whatever. Well, there's, you know, like 20 things and the psychiatrist, if he ticks 15 of the 20 boxes, then that kicks you over into that category. It's a, it's a scale, it's a continuum. And at some point, Back to where we were starting this conversation, you know, you have to you have to you draw the line somewhere and say, well, this is what this category represents. These fifteen out of mm-hmm. the twenty, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that's the case with cults. You don't necessarily have to have a a leader. Although I would say some of the more prominent authors uh, of these uh, mm-hmm. books, like in the anti-racism, I mentioned uh, Ibram X. Kendi and, Kendi and a few of the others. They they uh, I wouldn't say they're cult leaders, but they certainly stand out as you know. If you oppose this guy, you know, you are going to be pounced on on social media and um you know so there then you get that spiral of silence well i better keep my mouth shut because i'm here to be in the minority so if enough of us speak out and say you know what i'm liberal but i don't go along with this far left progressive left liberal illiberalism and then if enough of us say that then then it'll become apparent i think that most people don't go along with those extreme positions but they feel like i better i i have to or you know, I better keep my mouth shut. I mean, in, in many cases, people are losing their jobs. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic. You know, I'm pretty well protected, mostly self-employed. I, I'm not worried about being canceled, but most people are not in that position. So I, I'm sympathetic. I wish people would speak out, but I understand why you don't want to if you know, at, you're in a big department or a corporation or university and, and you, know, you know you're going to get pounced on, you may lose your job. Well, I wonder if the if the leader, if a leader could be subbed in and subbed out based on groups, you know, like the leader is for wokeism, the victim, 
only if the victim has mm. a certain skin color or lady parts or you know lgbtq mm -hmm. identity right like it certainly wouldn't be a guy like you the 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 leader who can never be wrong is definitely not the white man the cisgender heteronormative right. white man right. but right. like there is definitely I, I talked about this when um people were attacking me because i didn't i threw <laughs> threw some skepticism on the story being told by naomi osaka about whether she had real mental health problems or whether she just doesn't like dealing with the press right and mm. the reason it was so quote wrong of me to doubt her i believe is because she's a woman a young woman a young woman of color who is playing the mental mm. health card and all of these things are are revered right revered by wokeism and uh, treated as sort of untouchable right like you're not allowed to criticize people like that and so it's, i wonder whether the sort of identity is like a stand-in for the dear leader I think so, although I've, I've had some conflicting thoughts about this recently with the recall election coming up next month of Gavin Newsom here in my state of California. You know, identity politics. Well, Larry Elder, is a he's a black man. He's an African-American <laughs> and prominent. It's, no, no, no identity doesn't count if you're a Republican. <laughs> right. So, uh, so identity politics. Apparently, the politics matters more than the identity, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes it doesn't seem, it seems like, you know, race is everything, but then you go, okay, Larry Elder's black. Oh, not him. Or, the LA you know, Times I, is calling I, him a white supremacist. <laughs> yes, it's just stunning, stunning. Or, you know, Shelby Steele, he's black and he says, X, oh, well, he's, you know, an Uncle Tom or he's a conservative. Uncle Tom, right. Well, what about Jason Hill? What about, you know, Coleman Hughes? Coleman, he's an interesting example because he, um, he's a liberal, but he's not saying the things right. they want him to say. On wokeism, right. so he's not a good liberal. <laughs> he's, he doesn't get the exception. Yes, and and even more prominently, uh, John McWhorter, because he's not not just a, he calls himself a grumpy liberal, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I love but you that. know, he's a university professor, just highly respected in his field of linguistics and so on. And you know, when when he pronounces on something, you can't just say, "Oh, well, he's just some you know Uncle Tom conservative black." No, 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 he's not. Okay, then what? But the fact that you and I even have to cite people like that because of their skin color is very troubling to me. I mean, this should be the least interesting thing about John McWhorter is how much melanin he has in his skin or the example Absolutely. I use because I'm friends with Neil deGrasse Tyson, the, you know, that he tells Neil tells me that he gets offered, uh, you know, these awards and uh, from black groups and he doesn't accept them. He doesn't, I, I don't want to be the black astrophysicist. I'm just an astrophysicist, full stop. Who cares what color my skin is? I feel like he, he right? and he is, I mean, he really is only, only these ideological driven groups or identity driven groups are even thinking about him like that. Right. It's like, you and I are having yeah. this discussion because we're talking about them and how they prize certain yes. things and certain beings, but not others. But this isn't how we would normally talk about these people. You know, like that's not how we'd ever discuss John McWhorter if I met you at a cocktail party. This is their right. game. This is the identity politics people's right. game. You know, it's, it's so abhorrent. Don't leave me now. We got more coming up in 60 seconds. to follow up on our earlier discussion about how now during the pandemic and so on, people seem particularly odd. <laughs> they seem, I don't know whether they, they're, they're pro-cult more than ever, they're pro-conspiracy theory more than ever in this reporter's view. This is a quote that, that I got from you. Um, you were writing in Time magazine. I think it was in reference to the JFA, JFK conspiracies, but I love it. Mm. Um, this is you. Quote, psychological research also shows 
that when people are placed in environments or conditions in which they feel anxiety and a loss of control, holla, okay, that was my footnote, they are more likely to see illusory patterns in random noise and to look to conspiracies as explanations mm -hmm. for ordinary events. Sociological research has also found that natural disasters such as hurricanes and earthquakes lead people to think that there are conspiratorial forces at work. So doesn't that mean that in many ways the pandemic has primed the pump for some of the nuttiness we're seeing that does that's not even COVID related? Totally. Yes. That research is held up. I wrote that, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, that was Jennifer Whitson's research on uh, illusory patterns. And if you put people, subjects into conditions where they feel anxious, or you have them recall a time in their life when they were uncertain or anxious or sad or whatever, uh, they become more conspiratorial. That, that has survived the replication crisis that, that's held up pretty well. And we're, we're witnessing it right now. I mean, this is probably the most disjointing time in, in the last century, at least, maybe comparable to the First World War and the Spanish flu and then the Second World War. I'd say it's comparable to that. Probably even even more disrupting than 1968 Watergate, Vietnam War protests, assassination of uh, uh, RFK and, and MLK. This this is even more than that. I would say that we're going through. So and of course, you know, the Daily News. Fauci says this. Fauci says that. What are we to believe? It's you know, talk about uncertainty and anxiety. Of course, people are going to then, you know, not trust institutions or not know what to think. So. Uh, yeah, but this too shall pass. I mean, just you know, look what happened after the First World War. We had the Roaring Twenties. I'm, I'm hoping we get to the Roaring Twenties here soon, and maybe starting next well, year, I, maybe. I yeah. hope people can hear that. I hope people can hear that. That even if you think oh, I'm strong, I'm not affected by any of this, right? I, I whatever. That I'm fine. Maybe you have been. Like right? maybe if you find yourself falling victim to this, like hell no vaccine. Bill Gates has got something in there and I'm not getting it. Right. Or we're wearing that. I'm never going any place without a mask again. And why would you? And my children will too. Maybe you could take a minute and just pause and say, perhaps I have been affected perhaps without me totally being conscious of it. I have been anxious and knowingly or unknowingly, I've leaned into something that's conspiratorial at least. And it's a mm -hmm. it's a chance for me to check myself, to check myself and see whether I'm as OK as I thought I was. But as I'm saying this to you, Michael, I'm doubting that anybody will hear that <laughs> because mm. I grew up in the 1970s and I remember the Christy McNichol and Jimmy McNichol after school specials where the only way to get somebody out of a cult or conspiratorial thinking is really to drive by in the flowered van and grab them <laughs> and spend days with the deprogrammer. And even then, it's a yeah. best of 50-50 shots. So you tell me how we're supposed to get anybody we know and love that's conspiratorial out of that thinking. Yeah, and that that group cult awareness network and, 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 you know, they got bought up by Scientology of all places. So people were calling oh my gosh. number to, Seriously? yeah. Yeah. In the, in the mid nineties, they, they got sued by Scientology so many times because that Scientology is one of their targets uh, that, that Scientology ended up just buying them out. And then, so people would call oh this, God. you know, 1-800 number, you know, my kids in a cult and, and there's some Scientologists on the other line. <laughs> they didn't even know. Oh my know. God. Yeah, they called crazy. a cult to get their kid out of a cult. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, the, 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 then there were some lawsuits about how, uh, 
to what extent that's illegal to actually go and and kidnap somebody who's over 18 and, and hold them against their will in a hotel room somewhere and deprogram them. There were some lawsuits against that. So I don't think anyone's really doing that anymore. I, I think more it's like de, kind of debiasing programs. To what extent can we um, uh, you know, talk somebody out of something uh, that they believe it, it is doable? Um, you have to follow certain um, guidelines like, you know, don't don't. Uh, uh, get too emotional, don't accuse people of being wrong or stupid or ignorant. And you know, these are the kinds of things that cause cognitive dissonance to kick in. The person's not even listening to you anymore. If you call somebody Hitler or a Nazi for believing X, you know, they're, they're not going to listen mm-hmm. to you anymore. Uh, you know, and, and, and mostly just, you know, speak with, you know, openness and, and kind of compassion, empathy. Like I totally understand why you would believe X, whatever it is, climate stuff or vaccines or whatever. You can't just say, well, you're an idiot. Uh, to believe that you have to say, well, you know, I, something like, well, you know, I thought there was something to that at first. And then I read this or, you know, I tried that or take kind of a Columbo style. Remember the Columbo TV series, mm-hmm. you know, just asking questions. You know, I'm just, I just, I just have this one more question. You know, what, what is your source for that? Or, you know, how confident are you that that's true? And uh, those kind of strategies do seem to work. You know, it's, nothing's hundred percent or maybe not even 50%, but you know, that, that people do change their mind, usually quietly in the privacy of their own heads. They don't announce publicly. If someone's publicly announced, you know, I'm, I believe X, it's going to be harder for them to change their mind, especially if they're you know, a public intellectual, they write it down or they have a podcast or a blog or they state something mm-hmm. in an op-ed somewhere. It's going to be really hard to change their mind. They're Most people don't publicly. do that. They're, they just, yeah, most people are just, you know, I believe X and it's just in their own head. And, and so there it's much easier to uh, d- just kind of plant the seed and then they come around and, and change their minds without saying anything. Yeah, I feel like it, it proves you're open to learning, right? It's like, oh, my gosh, I know more today than I knew yesterday. Exciting times. To- Totally, totally. I mean, I've I listen to you know again pro lifers. I'm pro choice, but I think they do have some good arguments. And and I, you know, my students who are mostly liberal and pro choice, I ask them, well, what are the like three best arguments that the pro lifers have? You know, they mostly have no idea. Well, they hate women. Mm. No, that's not one of their arguments. Okay. <laughs> um, right. You know, so you have to, you know, you have to engage with, you know, steel man, the other person's position, restate it in such a way that they would go, yes, that is exactly what I believe. And that's actually pretty yeah. hard to do. I like that. Instead of straw manning it, you steel man it. Now, can we yeah. talk more generally about skepticism? Okay. I, I don't know whether I am a skeptical person as in terms of my nature. Oh, you are. Um, you are. I, I think You're I am. I was going to say, I <laughs> think I am. Uh, as a journalist, right, I'm usually like bullshit. That's bullshit too. Right? I'm always yeah. looking for people's hidden agenda. Um, but I've got to tell you, not always. And I, I wanted to bring up this example with you. I thought you might find it slightly amusing. Okay. Back on NBC, there was a couple mm-hmm. that came on. You probably remember this story. Um, it was a male, female couple. And the woman, she, she like went out in her car and supposedly ran in, uh, she ran out of gas and a homeless man came to help her get the gas and give her like his last $20. And she was so touched. This homeless guy helped her that she started to go fund me for him. He was a veteran and they got hundreds of thousands of dollars because Americans are lovely and donated all (laughs) this money. And then the couple came under fire for allegedly spending the homeless man's money 
and mm-hmm. going to Hawaii. And they were like, no, no, no. We always took trips to Hawaii even before the GoFundMe money came. And we were helping him manage it because he was a drug addict and we didn't want him to blow it on drugs. So they had a defense. But I had an exclusive interview with the husband and wife mm. in the midst of it all. OK. And it was mm. exciting. It's like, oh, they're coming out. OK, great. And my entire team, and I have to say, my audience is like, F them. <laughs> They're liars. They they spent the dude's money. I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm kind of. So, and it turns out, I mean, I'll just give you the, you know, the bottom line. So public's probably heard it by now. They were guilty. In fact, the the, mm. the husband, Mark D'Amico, pleaded guilty as the ringleader mm. um, to misspending this money. And by the way, it turned out the homeless guy was in on it. It's so crazy. All of it was crazy. But can oh, I, I, forgot I would that, love that, to play that, for you a soundbite of the exchange I had yeah. with the couple. And the last line you'll hear on it is me talking to the audience like a week or two later with the update of what we learned. Okay, listen to this. It was a feel-good story about a homeless man who offered his last $20 to help a woman get home after she ran out of gas on the highway. As a thank you, the woman, Kate McClure, and her boyfriend set up a GoFundMe page for Johnny Bobbitt and wound up raising over $400,000 to help Johnny turn his life around. Recently, however, Bobbitt accused the couple of withholding the money from him and even spending it on themselves, which they denied. Have you spent $1 of that $400,000 on yourselves? No. Nothing? No. You're representing that right here and right now. There's never going to be any proof that you did that you did. No. How much is left in the account now? He has well over $150,000 left. Yes, he spent a a lot of money. They've had a court proceeding in the days since that appearance. The couple's attorney advised the court there is no money left. That was my update. They spent it all. And I've looked back on that, Michael, saying, where was my skepticism when I needed it? Well, I think I think you were skeptical. It's just how far does it go and when should you be skeptical? You're really touching on a, a really deep and important issue in cognitive psychology. To what extent are humans by nature gullible and we fall for scams and cons and cults all the time? Or are we by nature skeptical and it takes a lot of work to trick somebody into joining the cult or whatever. I'm, I used to believe the former, now I believe the latter, that we're, we're pretty much skeptical most of the time. I mean, you know, we, we rattle off a, a few cults as examples, but just think about like the tens of thousands of self-help groups and organizations there are, you know, most of them are not cults. Most people don't join cults. Most people don't fall for scams like that most of the time. Political advertising, corporate advertising, it takes a lot to get people to buy a product or join a group. It takes a lot of effort. And, uh, you know, the, the Jim Joneses of the world with Jonestown and all that stuff, uh, those are pretty rare. I mean, most groups don't end up along those lines. So it's easy to pick out anecdotes. That's what I do for a living, citing certain things that, you know, irrationalities that are obvious. But in fact, most of the time that that doesn't happen. And my experience with journalists is that they're pretty good skeptics because they they have a database of experiences of people just bullshitting and lying, mm-hmm. just flat out lying. And I think the, if you don't have a lot of experience with that, you kind of default to truth. Well, it's probably reasonable to just assume this person is, is being honest with me until I have reason to believe otherwise. But if, you know, in the case of the journalist, if you have, yeah, but for every hundred of those, you know, 25 of them are, are bullshitting me in line, then I'm going to ra- ratchet up my skepticism for every one of the future ones I hear. And 
So I, I, I think you're a pretty good skeptic, you know, but you don't want to be skeptical all the time. I mean, what does skepticism mean? It doesn't mean, you know, uh, cynicism or, or solipsism or, you know, is, is, nothing is real. We can't believe anything that that can't possibly be true. You wouldn't even get out of bed. You have to assume certain things about the world to, to be true, to even function. And I, and I think we do that reasonably well. We're reasonably rational. Uh, you know, I make the point in my conspiracy book that, you know, even people that go, yeah, I, I'm totally on board with this crazy QAnon conspiracy theory. They don't call it crazy. These are rational people. They have jobs, they have careers, they raise children, you know, they can balance their bank account, they have stock investments, you know, I mean, they function totally rationally. And they have what I call these logic type compartments. But, you know, in, the, the, in this little corner of my mind here, I have this one little belief I'm hanging on to, no, no matter how irrational it may seem. But they're not just across the board gullible all the time. So, Mm -hmm. uh, the research, I think, is is leaning more and more toward toward that. I think you know we're not that gullible. It takes a lot of work to get people to literally drink the Kool Aid or or that Nexium cult. You know, for how many? I mean, how many women got the, the branding? Yes, I know. Right it's from my but, hometown, but, Albany, but, but, New York. That cult, Keith, run by Keith Ranieri, for people who aren't familiar, who right, don't want to right. be running a sex cult where women were branding themselves and so on. Keep going. But yeah, that's that's right. I mean, it, it, but but you you look at the highlighted interviews with the the women that got it. How many women joined that group over the, all those years, or were part of it, or engaged with them? Who who didn't go for any of that? See, we never hear about those. Mm. You know, I and it, it, from what I know, little I know about that particular one. There's more information still to come out. Is I think most did not go for the branding. It took quite a few steps between, hey, I'm going to take this seminar on on how to be a successful businesswoman, to I'm going to get the brand. I think there's like a hundred steps in there where, you know, he had those uh, female assistants who were kind of coaching the women along. You know, which mm -hmm. which is kind of social proof. Well, this is a woman having me do this. Uh, that must be, make it slightly more okay. You know, but but again, it took a lot to get him to do that. And I don't think that many of all the probably thousands that had engaged in that guy Renier's. Uh, I mean, he had a couple of different companies and like hundreds of seminars and workshops. And you just think of the thousands of people that took it. You know, most did not go for the branding thing. So to me, that's a little mm -hmm. encouraging. And we're not, as a species, we're not hopelessly irrational. <laughs> we're not doomed. Well, I think uh, just looking back, I will say, I feel like in that one story with the soundbite I played, I was really rooting for it to be not true, that that they would fleece yeah. the guy. You know what I mean? So it's like, I really, I preferred the original narrative a lot. I loved the original story of like the homeless guy helping. And then, no, they didn't betray the homeless guy. Oh, wait. The whole thing is a freaking fraud. You're like, you yeah. hate it. You know, you hate to see it. But enough years in in the news business, and yeah, you do have to fight a little to from to stop yourself from crossing over from skepticism to cynical. Right. And but but again, what 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 are we not looking at? How many Patreon accounts are totally legitimate? You know, I don't know, probably ninety nine percent. You know, how many nonprofits? Uh, you know, turn into, you know, these corruption schemes, you know, probably not that many, you know, there's tens of, I don't know, hundred thousands of nonprofits in the United States. And, you know, how many of them make the news for, you know, con games like that? Not many. 
right? So I think it's reasonable to be hopeful and optimistic and, and trusting, you know, but with verification, as Reagan said. Mm-hmm. Trust you know, but verify. Yeah, have, have, have some skepticism. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is what I do for a living, right? Be skeptical, right? But don't be, you know, cynical. Don't be distrusting of everybody you meet. Most people are good people. Um, and, you know, again, like we were saying, most people are not racist today. Don't just assume the worst. Most people are not like, like that Derek Chauvin guy. Okay. Most people are, most cops are not like that. Uh, and so it's, but you know, the availability heuristic, what we see on the news, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, it it distorts our perception of how things are going. So you have to look at the trend lines, not the headlines. And when you do that, things are really quite good. I mean, we're probably living in the best times ever in human history, despite this last year being pretty crazy. Maybe think of it as just a little blip in the in the upward curve. Uh, think of it as a sawtooth blade. You know, it's on the way up, but you have these little dips down. But overall, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. Yes, I heard you say this is the most moral time in the history of our species. I agree yeah. with you. And it's delightful that we somehow found ourselves stationed here at this particular moment in time. Um, yes, there's things to complain about, of course, but there's like a net net. We're doing pretty well. That's what you got to stay focused on. You can't get too wrapped up in fighting the day's battles that you lose the 30,000 foot view. Exactly. You got to take that view. Just think, you know, when would you rather be alive? Say you as a woman, you know, I mean, 1500, 1800, how about 2020? You know, I mean, this Mm -hmm. this, terms of rights. and, and, And that's not to say because things are better than they used to be, they're perfect. No, they're not. Don't conflate those. Uh, and, and, and anecdotes are not data. You know, the one example of the uh, of the misogynist CEO. Uh, uh, and, and OK, that that's but that used to be quite common. Now it's rare. Again, you got you know, to follow the trend lines. I will give you one good thing about being a woman in 1500. Um, I just recently for a costume <laughs> event we did wore a corset and one of those dresses they used to wear. And I'm telling you, there's oh a reason that that was in style for so long. It shows off all the things you want to show off and it hides <laughs> all the things you want to hide. I think we, we rejected that too soon, ladies. We could have found up a, like, a, like a comfortable one that didn't make your rib cage collapse. Um, but I really liked the way <laughs> that worked. Funny. You could eat whatever you wanted at dinner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wouldn't know about that, but okay, I'll take your word for that. <laughs> that is what we call looking on the bright side. Michael Shermer, what a pleasure. Right. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm a fan. I love your show. Oh. Congratulations on your new, you got your radio show coming up, right? Yeah, yeah. We're launching live on Sirius on September 7th. And so I hope you'll come back and do nice. that show too. Absolutely. Okay, so this is an exciting moment for us because we're not going to speak to you again until we are live on SiriusXM's Triumph channel at noon, not Monday because it's Labor Day, on Tuesday. And uh, for those of you who haven't, you know, sort of been paying attention to that because you're living your lives and I assume you're not obsessed with news about the MK show, um, although fine by me if you are, what we're doing is this podcast, only we're going to do it five days a week. And we're going to do it live. So if you would like to listen to it live, which can be fun, no net, um, you can do that from 12 to 2 Eastern time. The good thing about it is, even if you like just listening to the podcast at your leisure, if you want to do it that way, you can call in and we can talk because we're going to take live calls, something I've actually never done before. (laughs) So it could be a hot mess for many reasons, but bear with us because nobody turns away from a training. So tune in (laughs) on Tuesday, not to give us a bad omen. 
and you can listen to it that way or you can just keep listening to it exactly the way you currently do nothing's changing there um, okay so wish us luck and we'll talk on tuesday have a great great labor day thanks for listening to the megan kelly show no bs no agenda and no fear the megan kelly show is a devil may care media production in collaboration with red seat ventures Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 